I'm here with Sean Harris, a Kita for Home Plus student from the United States. I asked Sean how he enjoyed learning with Kita over the course of the year. Kita was really an amazing experience because I got to learn three new things every week. One Kumash, one Mishnah, and one Gamara. After each week, I got to discuss those things, and I learned a lot. I also asked Sean what were his favorite parts of the Kita for Home Plus program. My favorite part of the Kita lessons um, are getting to go onto Zoom and actually discuss them because then it's a two-way conversation and not just learning, it's interactive as well. I also spoke to Sean's parents and asked them how they felt about Kita. Yeah, we love the program. It was phenomenal. It, it exceeded our expectations for sure. Sean learned so much. It was providing him a basis to go to high school for Yeshiva education. We just appreciated all the learning that we did every week. Do you know a family looking for a Jewish education solution for their children? Kita offers serious Jewish learning at an affordable price. To find out more, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, your weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, stuff going on in Israel, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Rabbi Malibrovsky and Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Let's do it out of order. I am the director of Rimonim, the Rimonim Teacher Training Program at the Herzog Academic College in Israel. I'm also the founder and director of Kitab.org, an online Jewish learning program teaching Jewish texts and values in a Khan Academy-like format. Rav Johnny Solomon is a teacher at Midrash at Lindemann and Matan. He's an editor at Mosaica Press and an independent Jewish educational consultant. He works as a rabbi for people without a rabbi, providing, providing online spiritual coaching, halacha consultation, and one-to-one -one learning services to men and women around the world. Rav Johnny also writes a daily thought on Daf Yomi and is a posek to his local shul in Evan Shmuel. Rabbi Malibravsky is a senior faculty member and the director of the Shanabet program and an in-house social worker at MMY. She wears many hats at MMY. She's also a clinical social worker with a private practice in Gush Etzion. Hello, Harabadi Malibrovsky. Hello. Okay, today we are not going to talk about Simone Biles because we feel that is not our purview and not our, not our subject, but the Simone Biles uh, episode where she pulled out of her, out of her, uh, floor exercises for the reasons that she described. If you don't know what they are, then I don't know, do a Google search. Raised a lot of interesting issues and discussions on social media here in Israel. One of them was a post written by a rabbi named Eli Ofran. Rabbi Eli Ofran, I think he's a rabbi in, Kfut, in Kfutzat Yavne. Am I correct? Is yeah. Rabbi Kfutzat Yavne? Yeah, he's Kfutzat Yavne. Yeah. Okay, he's a rabbi yes. Kfutzat Yavne. And he posted an interesting reaction to Simone Biles. He's also a psychologist, by the way. I just want to say that. And a psychologist. Connected to uh, a, a, a pop song that's actually going around in Israel. So, uh, Johnny, if you don't mind, would you mind sort of summarizing the Simone Biles, the, uh, the, the, the post by Rabbi Eli Ofrano? We'll use that to sort of use that as a springboard for, for our discussion about the issue of 
And I think it's fair to say an issue of striving for excellence and pushing oneself versus pulling back, taking care of yourself, things of that nature. Go ahead, Rav Johnny. Okay, so um, this is a post you wrote, I think it was a couple of days ago. And it's important to stress, as Mali mentioned, he's a psychologist, he's a rab, he's also an educator. And he begins by validating absolutely, and, and without um, any disclaimer, without any um, uh, a suggestion otherwise, um, the decision of Simon Biles. But the question, as you say, is what is, what is the messaging of that decision in the wide Israeli society? And he felt that a lot of people he knows, a lot of his students, a lot of people he's working with, have drawn a lesson from her decision that basically when things are tough, then that's the time to uh, take a step back. Wait, Ruby, John, if I just, sorry. I don't, I don't think he says that they drew it from her. He says sure, her decision is reflective of a phenomenon that he's seeing. I want to just say that, I'm just sorry to interrupt you, but just because I think it's important, it's just in terms of how we're not discussing someone Biles, and to be fair to someone Biles, I don't think he was saying people are learning that from her. I think he's saying what she did is reflective of something that he's seeing, and he wants to talk about two, two sides of the coin. Well, I, firstly, as mentioned before, we, I, Ruby asked us to explain this piece, and this is going to be a bit of a to and fro, so it's totally great and feel free. <laughs> secondly, no, exactly. And secondly, I, I, I think it, it, it ultimately his post isn't about her. It's about either what people are drawing, as I suggest, or as you say, a certain wider culture, which people are perhaps overlaying onto her. Um, but uh, wh whichever the case, what he, f what he believes is that the opposite message needs to be stressed more in the kind of circles of his belonging. The opposite message of striving, the opposite message of investing endeavor. And he feels that too much in the media and uh, as you mentioned before, there's a song by Satik Benel with Neta Barzilai where the, the sentiment is um, you don't need to work hard really that you don't need to strive to try and uh, achieve greatness or get a medal and life is going to be okay. And he says, no, that's not the case. I need my students, I need the kind of people I meet to hear a different message that you do need to strive hard. And this leads to a conclusion. He reflects on a, on a faculty meeting uh, in where he teaches and the distinction between um, accomplishment and competitiveness and, and figure out the right balance between endeavor, sweat, toil, perseverance, and the belief that only a medal, only getting first place matters. So that's kind of what I drew from that. I'd love to hear what... Yeah, what Johnny, just to, just, just, to, well. just to clarify, the, the song is called Efes Ma'amat, which means no effort. I mean, it's, like, it's really right. like, says it straight out. I don't want to put any effort into this at all. I want to get everything, and I don't want to put anything into it. And so, and, and that's what Rabbi Lai was sort of commenting on that, as, as you said, saying that no, like, we have to push back against that. So uh, what, what's your perspective on that? I mean, you, obviously it's hard to disagree with him, but is there any, where, where do you see the nuance in this discussion? Well, well let's first hear from Mali, just in terms of, of summarizing the piece, and then I'm, I'm more than happy to offer my thoughts. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that I necessarily have anything. I think you summarized it very well. Um, I'm also happy to share kind of how I think about these, you know, this this tension. Um, but I'm happy to hear Johnny's first and then kind of share. Now that we've all deferred to one another. Johnny, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, my, my yeah, 
put, again, putting aside this individual decision and, and the tremendous strain that she clearly was under and has been under uh, for a while, but reflecting on what's going on in the world of education, and I'd say what's going on in general, I, I agree that there's a lot of people who want to be a lot with limited effort uh, and sweat and perseverance. And I believe that there's a strong Torah ethic of effort, sweat, and perseverance. In fact, I wrote a series of books years ago about the traits that a, a leader should have. And one of them was on the, the Midah of perseverance, of Amelut. Um, and, you know, we have Sukim like, And uh, people like the Malbim says, Ultimately, the great success of a person comes from what they put in, comes from their, their striving, often also comes from their working hard and getting pushed back. In fact, the Chofetz Chaim learns this lesson from how Yitzchak, you know, he dug the wells and they uh, kept on having conflicts around them or they were filled up and kept on digging. And from here, the Chofetz Chaim learns, in that in all aspects, both physical and spiritual, the, in, the fact that we have to work hard, we're going to get pushed back and we have to keep on uh, moving further is a really important lesson. And so I, I see this expressed in many different ways, uh, especially in terms of the field of Torah learning, where so much more content is easily accessible, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easily comprehended. A lot of people use digital tools to put together nice dapei makarot, but uh, they don't realize to understand the sefer, you need to read it from the beginning. And, uh, and so sometimes I see a lot more uh, style than substance in the world of Chinuch, in the world of Torah. And, and I make it very clear that it's not the way you achieve greatness, not that I'm great, but it's not the way that I understand greatness is achieved. And the idea of Amilut is certainly uh, very central to spiritual and intellectual journeys. Yeah, I, I think the word, the, the term Amelim, Amelut B'Torah is, uh, it, it appears quite a bit in a siyum. It says, Anu Amelim Vehem Amelim. The idea of toil in Torah is, is important. We're going to come back to that. Remind me, Molly. Okay, so I, I was thinking about this, about how do you balance these two values. So the way that I, 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 I've come to this a lot in general in my practice and when I teach mindfulness and the, the, um, the image that I use when I, when I talk about this with individuals who are actually thinking about this very issue is what I call exploring your edge, which means how do you find that place where you're pushing your boundary, right? So the example I often give is actually from sports, right? If you're, uh, you know, you're exercising or you're, you're engaging in, 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 a, in a physical activity and you feel yourself that you're pushing yourself and it feels good, right? You feel like you're striving. Um, that's great. And then when you go so hard that you feel like you're going to do yourself an injury, that's when you come back, right? So that, that I think is one piece that's important to recognize, which is that there, there's a zone where you're, you're, you're accomplishing and you're striving, but you, you're, you're stopping short of, of injuring yourself and you know to push back. But I want to add something else to it because I think that, that there's, there's more to that because then I was thinking about sometimes you push yourself really hard and, and even to a place that is painful and difficult. And I was thinking about catharsis and Rav Soloveitchik when he talks about gvura and the willingness to leap mm -hmm. into the absurd and the willingness to... to 
and he says that that that's that's he talks about Yaakov, who's like you know willing to 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 to, to struggle with the, with the um, with the angel. And sometimes we do ask for heroism, right? And 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 true heroism is always something where you're going against the odds and you do it anyway and you do push yourself. So then I was thinking, where where does that fit in? And then I realized that 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 in the way I. I think of it is that we have to be that exactly what Rav Soloveitchik says in Catharsis, which is you have to be willing to do that when called upon, right? There might be moments in your life where you actually are willing to to push yourself into a heroic place, but you don't have to live your life constantly in that place, right? That's the dialectic, that there might be moments where you're called upon um, to, to, to even be heroic in a way that's, that's, that's beyond what your natural limit is because there's a greater good. But then, and there, this is where I think maybe also Rav Eli's post about tacharutziyut versus hesegiyut, like, there, the, the, or what Johnny, was something that you had mentioned in our previous conversation, the goal you're striving for has to really be a worthwhile value, right? Where, where, where like, maybe, it's, maybe you're sacrificing yourself for the community. Maybe you're, you know, sacrificing the present for some, some type of the future. But, you, but, but I think that that's, that's, that's also a piece of this, that, like, you have to be very aware if you are going to push yourself past your edge. You have to be very clear about why, yeah, and that has to be evaluated. Mind, I want to say I, one more thing. Wait, you, I'm just going to finish this saying, one more I, know, point. I want you to clarify something. Yeah. Why push yourself? We're not talking about pushing yourself past your edge. We're talking about pushing yourself. We're okay, talking so that's about, two things. I'm, no, I'm, I'm asking you. Are defining this as pushing beyond the edge? Who said? Why are we talking about that? We're talking about. Uh, I, okay. Let's talk about our, our about education, our students. Yes. They don't okay. want to. So, so they don't feel like talk, it. Okay, Most people, I, I think, many thinking, people, don't exercise because they don't like it. They don't right. like you know, the say meaning, So I'm saying, in 99% of cases, I agree with you, and I say, explore your edge. It feels good actually to push yourself. What you'll find if you try to find that zone of if you push yourself to exercise and it feels good, right? Be in that place where it feels good. I'm just saying sometimes it might not you know, even feel good you, and you might do it anyway. Many but. people exercise and don't, doesn't feel good. They don't like it. It's like, but they do it because they know that that's what they need to do to be healthy, to, live, to live good lives. Doesn't okay. mean, not, a lot of people don't like exercising. Okay, I mean, that's I, my again, experience. I would say I somebody, to like it, but. find an exercise. You're much more likely to engage in an exercise that you actually enjoy doing. Like, it's better to do, find that zone, find that place where you're actually pushing yourself and it actually feels good. And, and I think that that's actually a good, healthy message, which is really in life, because there is the flip side. There is, the, the, there is value to the side of, like, self-care and self-compassion. There, there is value to that piece. And so... I do think that that it's, it is a legitimate and maybe even healthy thing to tell people that they should try to strive, but, but ideally they should live a life where the striving feels itself like a value. And I just want to say my last point, which is another final piece is to let go of the need for outcome. There's a difference between striving and craving. Those are two mindfulness terms. Striving means I have goals and I'm and I'm. I'm working towards them. Craving means I won't be happy unless I achieve that goal. And that's a really important difference. And that I do think is also what Ravi Lai is saying, right? Like, meaning to say, I'm doing my best, right? That's part of like, I'm competing against myself. I'm doing my best and that's, that's my entire goal versus I can't be happy unless I get that medal, that outcome, whatever it is. That's, a, I think, another important decision. That's like, yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I want to sort of push back in a way, I, and maybe I'm just 
like old fashioned, get off my lawn. But uh, I, I will take you all back to when I was a very young child. And I remember quite clearly, I don't remember what it was, but I was, I think maybe fourth grade. My father was still alive. Um, and I got, I think it was a 67 or a 73 in a science test. And something intuitively told me, like I clearly hadn't studied, and something intuitively told me that um, it wasn't going to be good when my mother said, oh, your father will talk to you when he, when he gets home. And then it was, it was really the kind of that old fashioned, my father worked late and he would have dinner. And then, of course, I got called. And uh, rather than thinking, I had a very calm talking to him. My father looked at me and he said, did you, did you study as hard as you could? And I said, no. And he said to me something I always say to my children. He said, I don't care what grade you got. I honestly don't care if you tried your hardest. But if you didn't try your hardest, then, then I also don't care what grade you got. And yeah, I've, said exactly to my, I've said that to my children. I've said that to my children. And doing your best. Right, doing exactly your, right. But doing yeah. your best. Mm -hmm. It's not pushing yourself beyond. Did you try your hardest? Right. And I'm, I have a sense that, that uh, like, especially Rabbi Eli, in his commentary, he, he said, his comment was, kids don't want to do their best. They want to pass. What do I need? And, that's, I, need, like, and I think that's, not kids, people. Like, why do I have to get a 100? I can get an 85, or I can get a 75. And so what? It's a big, big deal. It's okay. I, need, I don't need to do my best. And I, I think, like, you know, so I actually once gave a drusha about this. Uh, I pulled it up because I remember giving it on Shavuot in uh, Tavshin Zabadalit. What was that, 1996 maybe? So I quoted a thinker, an American thinker named John W. Gardner. And he said the following. He said, the society which scorns excellence in plumbing, because plumbing is a humble activity, and tolerates shoddiness in philosophy because philosophy is an exalted activity, will have neither good plumbing nor good philosophy. Neither its pipes nor its theories were hold water. And he wrote a lot of different things about this. And he says mm -hmm. the following. If a man in the street says, those fellows at the top have to be good, but I'm just a slob, can act like one, then our days of greatness are behind us. We must foster a concept, a conception of excellence that may be applied to every degree of ability and to every socially acceptable activity. A missile blip may blow up on its launching pad because the designer was incompetent or because the mechanic who adjusted the last valve was incompetent. The same is true of everything else in our society. We need excellent physicists and excellent mechanics, excellent cabinet makers and excellent first grade teachers. The tone of our society depends upon a pervasive and almost universal striving for good performance. Mm -hmm. So that, it seems like, when I read Gardner, and I'm like, that, that resonates with me personally very, very strongly. And I think it resonates with, I, I, I don't know if it's specifically a Torah value or a like a super Torah value, you know, like a beyond, like a societal value, but it's something that I've always subscribed to. And when I see Rabbi Lai writing, and you know, I, I don't know if it's a new thing, but I don't remember hearing songs saying, yeah, I don't really feel like it. I mean, we know there are trends and everybody wants to be lazy at some time. We all need breaks and all that. But the idea that, you know, you don't have to do your best and everybody's good and everybody should get a medal for just trying and we don't really care who's, whether, you know, whether you strive. I, I feel that, I personally feel that this is something that's incredibly destructive. And exalting it is what, what Gardner predicted will lead to, will lead to, you know, like the missile blowing up on the pad. Not because it wasn't designed properly, but because somewhere along the line, everybody's got to do their job because the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. That's kind of, that's kind of what I think. Now, I want to sort of, do you guys want to react to what I say before I, we turn it toward the Torah community? 
Yeah. Uh, what, I would, what I would say, yeah, sorry, what I would say is that I entirely agree, and I had a very similar upbringing, but that presumes that every measure and method of measuring success is fair. <laughs> and and I, I, the word fair is you know, a, it's a bit of a red herring, but it's not the case. Wait, what do you mean by success? Because I said effort. I said, did you try your hardest? Okay, so I'll, I'll I didn't say, what did you get? And I honestly, I've tried to keep this up with my kids. Unfortunately, my kids also know that I think they're pretty intelligent and that if they really try, they'll do very well. So that's... Uh, no, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You mentioned Gardner. There's another guy called Gardner called Howard Gardner who talks about how different people learn in different ways. If, for example, the only way you measure success in examinations through writing and you're a learner who doesn't think that way but is brilliant, you can be lousy to test and still be brilliant. 100%. But, so, that's, not a quite, that's, not a, but that's nothing to do with effort. That means that you, that means uh-huh. that you have to find a way. You, if, if you put 100% effort, you would take that and you would draw diagrams and do whatever you needed to do in order to, if you're so intelligent. Now, it could very well be that you're not as intelligent and your best effort will get you a 70. That's fine. That's 100% fine because that was your best effort. And that's what we're talking about. Totally gets. I accept that, absolutely. But if only people would say, draw whatever you want and don't answer the question as we say, that the world would work that, that. It doesn't always work quite that way. I, th- I think also part, part of this is, is, I think Johnny's onto something here, which is, I agree with you 100%, but I think people have to be very clear about what, what they're putting effort into and why, right? So, so which is why it comes down to like, the individual has to put in their best effort, striving for excellence. They should be comparing themselves not to um, their their classmate and what their classmate got. They should be comparing themselves to themselves, right? They should be striving to be their best selves. They should be they should be comparing themselves, right? This is to quote a, one of the rules of one of my favorite thinkers: compare yourself to who you were yesterday and try to be a better person today than you were yesterday. I think that's. Like I have a memory, Ruby. I have a memory of being part of a um, what we called the whiz quiz in sixth grade, and it was a chidon about uh, Sefer Shoftim. And you know what I remember? I remember losing, and I remember the question that I lost on. The question I lost on was, where does it talk about um, dogs in um, in the story of Gidon? And I could not remember where the heck it talked. And of course, once I heard the answer, oh, and they lapped. Uh, you know, I knew that. I just couldn't remember that it was about dogs. I remember losing. That was not a good memory. That is not a good memory for me. That you know, and I, I remember the the, the the second place prize I got and how bad it was. And so there are there are drawbacks to the message that and I think the reason I remember losing was because I had internalized that my success, right, had something to do with the the place I got into, which was not for my parents. My parents also told me just do your best. But but the culture of the classroom was that first place was what mattered not did you do your best it's really interesting in the learning program that i run i don't want the kids to compete at all but when we do learning games they love competing it's very very interesting i'm not against competition i'm no no it's just interesting i don't i never encourage it but i'm saying i I think you're right but again that's why i think it should be competing somehow competing against yourself even though i think all of these things there are two sides to the coin because there's something even about competition against the other it's got to have value as you're saying because it's been driving society to pursue excellence for years but i think even when we compete against the other right like a person is ultimately going to be successful when they're able to zone in and focus on really they're ultimately they're competing against themselves in the sense of trying to strive to make themselves better okay um i want to sort of we're going to take a left turn 
or a right turn. I don't know. We're going to turn in one direction, maybe a 180 degree turn, uh, and talk about this from a, about a different post uh, on Facebook that related to this right after this short break. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. And we're back. So um, Johnny shared a post on Facebook connected to the accomplishments in light of the whole Simone Biles thing in Israel. I, mean, I just have to say, I mean, this is like a kind of a different thing, but Israel is metal crazy. There's this like crazy desire. We, this country somehow judges itself by how many medals they win in the Olympics. That it's, it's, it's like, it's, I think it's ridiculous. I don't really understand it. But it's ironic that, you know, on the one hand, all the psychologists talking about how what Simone Biles did, we have to, it's so important. But the Israeli, they put so much pressure on the Israeli athletes to win and to get these medals. It was really interesting. So there was a young man whose name was Artyom. Can some Johnny help me with his last name? I'm going to butcher it. Artem Dolgopiat. Dolgopiat, okay. Who won the gold medal in floor exercises? Was good, great. Okay, and in light of that, Someone named One you, Israel's second ever gold medal. Right. I mean, I mean it was, it, it's, it's a huge, it's, it's, it's impossible to explain how big, like in America, it's like, oh, somebody, you know, Mark Spitz won 8,000 gold medals. Okay, good, go ahead. Like here in Israel, it's a huge, huge deal. It's like, you know, you, don't, you didn't hear President Biden making phone calls to gold medal winners. I mean, you just didn't see it. But in Israel, this guy won a gold medal, and the president is there on the phone call, and the prime minister is there, and... It, it, it's, uh, there's an infatuation with somehow we, this country measures itself by the achievements of people doing sports who you, that you've never heard of and that, you know, like, you know, if the baseball team wins the gold medal, all of a sudden we're all big fans of baseball. That's my own personal uh, pet peeve. Anyway, so in light of the, of what? I just totally disagree with you. I you think do? It ha- I Totally. I think it has to do with Israeli pride. I think it has to do with, like, we consider ourselves this tiny little country and it's like, Wow, it's like starting. What happened to like our? We are like the twentieth largest economy in the world. Like, you know, we're Zayner, number one so in. Is, we're number one in chad pami. We're number one in disposable plateware. <laughs> we're number one. Nobody thinks about that. Nobody cares about. But, I, I've got, okay, but if all of a sudden, if some kid wins the floor exercises, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. The Olympics oh for God. people who enjoy the Olympics, it's a big deal. It's, we're number it's, one in kolim really, in the world. We're number one in CO2s. We're that's like, all very nice, and it's also nice to be number one in sports, especially for Jews who I, I, were I, never number one in sports, and it's. It's a rejuvenation. And we'll never get to be number one in sports. It's like, it's like a fool's an gold. Olympic gold. It's, it's, fool. it's not fool's gold. It's an Olympic gymnast who succeeded. In, and he's really, I mean, we're talking about this issue. He is 
he is the word they keep talking about when they talk about him is sniut. He is, he is, and his, and they, when uh, they talk about he worked day in the day. They, they, you saw that. You saw yes, that thing. His the, father, hard work, correct, every day, correct, doing all those your healthy best. values. He's exactly all those a values. great. He's a great value. He's a great example of. And, and, you know, there's this famous, I told I mentioned this to you guys, his father on the phone was like, you were amazing, you were awesome. I know it wasn't your best uh, performance. And people were like, oh my gosh, how could he say that? And it's like, no, he's being honest. It actually wasn't his best performance. Nobody did a great job, and he still got the gold medal. But like, good for them. I, I'm not with you. I, I think anyway, it's, okay, I, I think you it's don't great. have to I think Israelis, even though I think you're wrong. Are, I, think okay. I think Israelis need, it's hard to live here. So like when we can, you know, throw a party because we did something unexpected and that's not normally in our... Because of a bunch of people who don't live in Israel who got passports. This is not that kid, but a bunch of people who don't live in Israel who are Jewish, who made Aliyah, and I'm, you know, in air quotes, and they won some medal. I mean, really? That's, 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 that's not true in this case. I don't think it's true in the case of the judo. I don't Wait, think let's ask Johnny. Johnny, what do you say? Are you on my side or Mali's side here? Are you excited by gold medals or not? Uh, but I, I don't know when si <laughs> we're on sides. <laughs> I, I think, listen, um, Israel hasn't won that many gold medals, but we're very, very, uh, we celebrate greatly whenever we do. And in particular, when somebody does, it's not just about the medal. It's about the person. It's about the personal journey. You know, I was watching the news last night, and we're not just interviewing him and asking how he did in his sport, but we are interviewing the whole neighborhood basically going to his dad's work and and seeing what they think about him no, that's that's because of our infatuation with stardom that's what the media does no, if we were really, if we were really interested, in the, like we were interested in the olympics we would ask his teammate who lost about what no, his journey was and nobody cares about that guy just as proud of our the, 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 uh, the person who won gold even though he got i remember when he got he got the bronze and he actually was crying i remember it because it's very it's, I, I, I never understood that bronze also was number three he lost two i, I didn't understand that, that. that's but what okay. i'm saying but he was molly crying. you got the silver medal in shoftim and i was and i okay it was very unhealthy that i was crying that's my should have given you a silver medal then you would have been happy then no been, i got my silver medal i got to choose my little purple pen and i was Unhealth. I don't think it was healthy. That like I always thought of myself as not the winner. That's not anyway. Healthy. But but even I, though I think the competition has Johnny. its place. Johnny, you were going to say? No, no I was going to say when when Artem was uh, was interviewed last night on the news, he described his journey. He's he's born in Ukraine. He said from age six he was already um, training. At age twelve he moved here, and basically he's given up you know all his spare time to train. As Mali said, this is a guy who actually, when he speaks, sounds very, very modest. He's not trying to say, look how great I am. He, he, he credits a lot of what he does to his trainer. He was very appreciative to, to Bennett when he called and, and to, to, to Boogie Herzog as well. There, there is a certain sense that here's somebody who's kind of on a, on a cultural journey. Um, and also, even just in terms of the accents, it's funny. He speaks Hebrew pretty well. His father, with a very thick Russian accent, his mother, when she was interviewed, was speaking Russian. Here's somebody who's come from one world, you know, you know, moved here, becoming Israeli, earning something for Israel, and and doing so with a certain level of classiness, and without hiding the fact he worked really hard. Oh, he's been spending many years thinking about this, and that he didn't presume he was going to get the gold. But he's, he presumed he'd do his darndest, and he did. You're missing my point. The kid I love. I really, he's wonderful. I have nothing criticism, criticism about it. I really, nothing. I think he's a wonderful example. What bothers me is Israeli society that's infatuated with winning and measures its ability based on 
are, you know. I think that's so not true. I think as society assumes we're never going to win anything in the Olympics. So when we do, it's like giant party. We're so used know. to losing. Like we never get into the Euro League in, 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 in soccer and we never get so anywhere. What? You know what? Is, and maybe we're a tiny country healthy. of six million yes, people. And we are a and country, half of us are Ashkenazi. You know, but, we're, but, that's, but maybe that's part of the message <laughs> that you're talking about. You want to talk about Jewish education. There is a Jewish ethic of striving. You know what? That's why we're starting. But not nation. winning. That's so why we cares? have the best army in the world. But we're we're a nation of striving. So like when know. we happen to, I, I don't we, think we, that's we, what it's about. We, I think it's like you said, it's our self image in the world, and I think it's unhealthy that our self image is about winning the I winning think we're allowed to take the win when we get it to have a, to say like we are so awesome and I pat don't ourselves think I'm on the back yeah. and we, we we never win. We're like, a, do you know what I'm saying? Like, the, it's it's okay to be proud when we actually make it. I think that that's great. Like the same uh, way just, I'm happy uh, my... for, for, for today's who won. Some guy from, um, uh, what's the country? Armenia. And the guy who's like, Armenia is just like Israel. They never win. I'm so happy for this guy because now he can go home and all the Armenians can be proud of him. Let the little countries be happy. Johnny. Uh, personally, I, I don't see it so much as little or big. I, 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 there are countries smaller than us who've got many more medals. But nevertheless, I also don't think it's to do with how we think they're being perceived from the outside. The, the simple point is that, as Artem himself described, standing there on the podium and listening to that tikva, you know, we're living in a time where actually <laughs> wearing the Israeli flag or, or publicly identifying Israel in many parts of the world is not a simple thing. Here we're standing there having worked, as he said, for, you know, for many, many years, having succeeded and listening to the Israeli national anthem and representing his country knowing that this was done um, through sweat, blood, and tears, through perseverance. And where in so many other areas of the world, people want to reinterpret often very, very improperly, you know, what Israel does. Here, you can't get to do that. Here, you watch an Israeli stand on the podium, right? Let's not forget also this first Olympics, acknowledging what happened in the Munich Olympics, right? And with there, we've won this gold, and... Atikva's playing, and there's something deeply meaningful about Israeli pride, not to do with the outside perceiving us, but to do with us perceiving ourselves. Somebody said that, by the way. All Somebody right, said I, I the last that. time Atikva was played at this Olympics was for Munich, and it's so much so meaningful to now, uh, what's the word, bookend that with Atikva for a gold medal. Okay, so I right. want to just turn. We have a couple minutes left. There's a person named Yuval Ahali. I don't know who he is. Johnny sent me this post. And he said in light of that, what made him, what it made him think of this discussion about excellence made him think about the religious pressure that exists in our religious system, which demands, the way he writes it, the way I understood what he wrote, demands not just excellence, but demands perfection and, and expects perfection. And instead of hugging the children or the sons for, you know, for what they do accomplish and what they do achieve and the greatness that they do have, what it really does is it highlights a sense of guilt and anxiety for tiny failures. And I have to say, this is something I very, very strongly identified with. I think that, Molly, it's something that, it's, it's interesting, I think, you, like, you know, I'm asking you specifically in your background, the yeshiva system that I grew up in, I admittedly grew up in a more Haredi system, but I think it's true across the board, it's very much built on vihigita bo yomvam valayla, you, you, you're supposed to learn every day and every night, all the time. Every moment that you don't learn is bitul Torah. Everything that you don't do that's in a religious pursuit is a personal, moral, spiritual, and religious failure. And that whole formulation 
is a, is a recipe for, that many people simply fall away from, A, because they're not perfect, and they don't want to be, nobody wants to live and be a failure, and B, maybe it's something that we need to think about, like, yes, how do we find that, that striving for excellence on the one hand, but without that negative connotation of, you're a failure if you don't achieve the excellence that you want to achieve. And I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer. I, I, it, that just, the reason I wanted to turn it in this direction is because it so strongly resonated in the way we address religious education. I wanted to hear both of your reactions about that. But Molly, I'll turn to you as a social worker and your experience, is that, is, that, am I, is that an accurate description? And how do you think we have to address it societally or educationally? Yes, I think in general, I think the way you said it was very good, which is, um, it's all about the framing of, uh, it, this is a question for educators, right? And I think what we're, tr what we're talking about now on this podcast is how do you educate towards striving, right? And striving to do one's personal best without falling into the traps of, I liked your word there, perfection, perfectionism, right? And without giving people the space to understand that they're human and, and that mistakes are part of that. Um, and, and, with, and without giving them the message, and unless you achieve that outcome, you're a failure, right? And, and I think that's, that's everything we've been discussing right now, which is exactly why I like, the, that's why I started with this, exploring your edge, because it holds both pieces, right? It holds, it's good to strive. You're gonna feel good about yourself when you search for meaning, when you push yourself to become better, to grow. Life is actually about growth, it's not about comfort. That's a really important message for people, but at the same time to tell people, don't push yourself past your boundaries to a place where you're hurting yourself. That's not healthy. And does Judaism a, it, teach perfectionism? Meaning, uh, like it, my rabbin taught that. So they, then, they, they, uh, if they, I don't. Johnny, think, did your rabbin teach that? Which, wait, uh, just answer that question. Does Judaism? Judaism is a way very broad. So, does Judaism As it's often fall in the into the system trap? That we often, yeah, maybe, that we often and maybe we too. have to. When we do that, we have to find a way to adjust that so that we're we're not going to sacrifice striving, but we're also not going to create people who have such an inner self-critic and an inner perfectionist that they're actually harming themselves. I, I, I agree with what Marty said. I think in certain institutions there is this push for perfectionism, even though I, I will use the term Judaism. I don't think Judaism does because there's no such thing as a perfect person. The Torah is perfect. We are imperfect. We strive with our imperfections to try and achieve greatness. But know that... Uh, every person has their limits, and to expect every person to be a Malch Hashem which is Chazal's definition of a great teacher, um, it, we need to know that's a metaphor. You can't be an angel, you're a person. Johnny, let me take you for a second. Stories. We're almost in Elul, isn't it? And, 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 you know, Rosh Hashanah. So it seems to me, I don't know, like immediately I'm starting to think of what did I do wrong? What, you know, what do I have to do tshuva for? And that's always like, how much could I have been better? When I get to Yom Kippur, I could be like Malachi Hasharet, and that's really the ideal expression. So, yeah, but give me a formula for not being like that, you know? Well, the formula is, you do your best, and Hashem gifts you the possibility of being like a Malach Hashem Tzvakis. But, but you can't be that. Meaning, you can be the best human being which has its limits. Hashem's gift to us, called Tshuva, means we go beyond that, at least uh, uh, for a momentary basis. Um, so uh, we, this notion of guilt, of not striving to perfection, I think is, is historic. I don't think it's healthy um, because uh, it, it's actually misrepresenting what is intended to be the great achievement. I think the bar is often set way too high. 
and that growth actually comes through micro achievements. And if you only say to somebody, you have to know Shas, and nobody, it takes a person a lifetime to know Shas if they you know, spend their life doing that, then they'll never feel a sense of accomplishment. I'm a strong believer in Sipuk. So if you give people micro accomplishments, they'll grow. If you're always telling them to be perfect, they won't be that and they'll feel lousy about themselves. However, just before I, I stop rambling, uh, I thought I'd just add one final thing because we talked about Amelot before. There's a profound um, remark about Amelot in the introduction of the Shach and Yeradea because he, the Shach, he, he wrote his commentary on the Shulchan Ach by age uh, 26. And he, and he says there, do you think it came easy? And he writes, basically, I killed myself, right? Uh, my eyes were deprived of sleep, my eyelids of slumber. And what he's doing there isn't saying everybody can do that. It's saying you want to do something outstanding, fine, but you need to have the, the basically the physical energy to do that. Not every, you can do it when you're younger, not always so much when you're older. Just for you to know, when I was teaching, I used to do an all-nighter once a, when I was teaching when I was younger. I used to do an all-nighter once a week for years. I can't do it anymore. Literally, my body can't take it. So you can do certain, you can put in certain hours for certain things at certain ages and stages in the life. You have to um, give guidance according to the possibilities and also limitations of individuals. And if you don't do that, that's unfair, I would say even immoral. I think there's a lot more to talk about in this issue. I, I, I think that much of our yeshiva system is modeled after the classical yeshivot which are designed by definition to create Rosh Yeshivot. They're not designed to create Balabatim. And by that definition, they're going to cater to and strive for uh, unrelenting excellence. And most people will fail by that standard. I think there's a lot more to talk about. Mm -hmm. Actually, Johnny, when I hear you, th I, I, think, I think that I'm much more of a product of, I think a more Ashkenazic Yeshiva model, which is... I think more, and I, I have to think my perception is that Sephardic model is much more mechil, it's much more inclusive, much more forgiving, and much more, I would say, loving of people as opposed to, like, I think of the Ashkenazic slichot is, if you had to, if you had to take slichot and boil them down to, to Ashkenazic slichot, it's, uh, I'm terrible, I am nothing, please forgive me. Whereas uh, Sephardimar, God, we love you, take us back, uh, please forgive us. Yeah, you know, and and I, I think there's a lot of what he said about that. But I just these discussions of striving for perfection take me in that direction. I'm sorry to throw it out at the end of the podcast. Molly, take us home. Okay, I, I just want to say one thing. First of all, I agree with you. Uh, I want to I want to give you two formulas. One is guilt versus shame, which uh, Brene Brown talks a lot about. But Rabbi Jonathan Sachs had a, a beautiful um, I forgot it was a video about this. Um, the, the difference is guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. And, and when you're talking about going into LO, that's a very important distinction to make, right? I did something bad gives you um, hope for, and, and I can, therefore I can be better, right? I want, I want to identify the things I do bad so that I can grow into a better person, which is a much more um, love perspective. Okay, Johnny told you something up, which he'll tell us in a second, um, right? Versus <laughs> I shame, can't see it anyway. which is, I, I'm, I am <laughs> bad, and therefore, sort. what's the point? Ah, so. What's yeah, the yeah, use? Yeah. Oh, okay, wait. How so? Okay, well, let me just say my second, my second thing, and this is, you know, uh, shout out Shana Goldberg's book um, that she just came out with. Uh, but I have been using Shana's formula for years, which is trust versus fear, which is coming into Elul. Don't do things out of fear, fear of punishment, fear of hell, fear of God's rejection. 
do things out of trust. I trust myself. I trust God. I trust that I can be a better person. I trust that God will forgive me. Yes, that will take effort, right? And my decisions should come out of it, but it's fundamentally coming from a place of trust and love rather than, um, than guilt and fear. It's much healthier. Molly, your hamlatsa. You have 30 okay, seconds. So uh, it's perfect. My hamlatsa is a book called The Comfort Book. Perfect for what we're talking about by a guy named Matt Haig. I don't have time to talk about it because we have a big rush, but it's basically for when you're in the place when you need um, to be reminded of your in, inner worth and your and and you need you, you need to know that you can do it and that sometimes it's okay to take a break to refuel so that you can get better. Read this book; it's incredible. The Comfort Book by Matt Haig. Johnny, I won't say more because we don't have time. Uh, okay, I, I need kind of a little bit more. Uh, I will mention, I, I'm reading another book about judgment, which I'll come back to on another occasion. Uh, a couple of days ago was the 20th yacht site of Ilana Rosenblatt. I didn't know her, uh, but I know she was an amazing woman. And her husband, Charles Rosenblatt, wrote a remarkable book about uh, dealing with pain and loss called Finding Light in the Darkness. He wrote it some years ago, and over Shabbat, I reread this book. And I've got to say, it is extraordinary, it's profound, it's remarkable what it means to uh, help a wife through pain and, and deal with loss and to also somehow, in some way, come out the other side. So my Hamlatz, Shal Rosenblatt's Finding Light in the Dark. Okay, my Hamlatz, very quickly, I'm going to cheat. It was shared with us recently, but I think this is better than the one I had. It's the song Alufa Ulam. Hanan ben Ari. By the way, the responses we've gotten are really wonderful from a bunch of different people about the last podcast. So thank you all very much for sharing the podcast. Um, apparently, the the Olympic gold medal champion, I can't pronounce his name, uh, he said that he used to enjoy listening to Hanan ben Ari's Aluf Olam before he would go and compete. As one of my many songs I quoted last week. Yeah, Mali quoted one of her many songs. So Aluf Olam, Kolakavod Hanan ben Ari. And uh, continue to share our podcast. Okay, we got to wrap up here. Uh, I want to thank Robert, Robert Johnny Solomon and Robert E. Malibrovsky, especially for their flexibility in recording. Much appreciated. Thank you all our listeners. Keep sending us your feedback. We love hearing from you. Thanks to my son for our music. I am Ruben Spolter. Have a great week, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>